It's go time on the Rural Radio Network for the midday program, the midday for midweek. And we're off and running to get you information on everything that you'll be hearing over the course of the next, well, couple of hours here on your Rural Radio Network station. And I am so pleased, so proud, so fun whenever we get to play Where's Susan? So everyone, uh, let's uh, see if we can... Uh, hazard our guesses today. Dave, do you have a guess for where's Susan? I bet she's reporting from the uh, headquarters of uh, her studio. Headquarters in Surprise, Nebraska. Yes, huh? Okay. Yes. And uh, Jason, your guess today? Points unknown. Point. <laughs> I don't think you can lose with that one. You're just hedging your bets. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go. I just got back from Kansas City, so I'm going to go with uh, Des Moines. I don't know why, but Des Moines. Where's Susan? Susan is at the Gateway Farm Expo today. Oh, yes. She yes, is. Yes, that would make sense. And how are things in Carney this morning? They are good. They are busy. The, the Somebody just, one of our vendors and advertisers decided we looked hungry. <laughs> they brought us popcorn. And I think I need to put up a sign that says, do not feed the announcers. <laughs> oh, no, maybe I should. Wait, Brandon's just giving me a dirty look. Maybe it should be, please feed the announcers. Please feed the announcers. Yeah. All right. Please feed us. Please feed. All right, well, that's good. Yeah, just don't get your hands too close to Brandon's teeth. That's all I can say. Yeah, he, already, he just stole the popcorn bag from me. Okay. So. All right, well, Susan, tell us what's going on. Social media in the spotlight today, huh? You bet. Coming up at 1219, producer Jay Hill is going to talk more with us about social media and how he utilizes that to tell the story of agriculture and really encouraging all of us with just as simple as picking up your phone. And whether you're using Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or all the others, you can get out there and be a strong advocate, not only for what you do, but for what others do around you. Then we're going to do a little spin of a turn. We're going to head to the KC Royals at 1245. Brandon's going to talk about the renovations that have been going on at Kauffman Stadium. And at 117, one of my favorite guys in the dairy industry, Lucas Lynch, will be joining us. He's the Midwest Dairy's CEO, talking about the latest things that are happening. Also, coming up later today, you can jump online and listen to comments from Senator Moran. He sent an open letter out to farmers and ranchers in regards to the NAFTA withdrawal and what that's going to mean, not only for Kansans, but for all of us that are involved in agriculture. All right. Always good to hear from him, and uh, we'll watch for that on uh, all of our rural radio station websites later on today on the social media. Thanks, Susan. Appreciate it. Thank you. And right. Jason Jorgensen's on sports, of course. Huskers have many, many questions. Uh, One of them is they're not quite sure who the starting quarterback will be on Saturday against yeah. Penn State. Tanner Lee is still going through the concussion protocol. One step at a time. Yeah, Patrick O'Brien has been working out with the number ones. Yeah. If he were to play and then get hurt, it it gets dicey. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll tell you how that's shaping up now. Right. Also tell you about the Husker women's basketball team. Nice win last night over UMKC. Okay, very good. And Dave Schroeder's in for business today. Richard Cordray, the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. That was that new bureau created under the Obama administration, and he was appointed by President Barack Obama. Well, he has announced his resignation today. All right. All of these stories are coming up here, along with, uh, of course, our reports from the uh, various farm expos that are going on. We just heard from uh, Gateway, and also we'll be hearing from the McCook Farm Expo on your stations. And that's all part of what's going on today on Midday. 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to convince the machinery that I am here and pressing it, It's that button over there. That's there we the go. one there. Okay. <laughs> Big as life and twice as hard, and it just scared just looking at me there. Just, nah, 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 nah. It is, uh, well, and so now you get a little glimpse behind the scenes. Yes, of here what at, we do deal with every here once at Radio while. Ranch. <laughs> and uh, it is time for us to get uh, straight ahead into our ag weather. Of course, Paul Perkins comes in here, and it's brought to you today by. Holdridge Irrigation, your Reinke dealer, and boy, look at this day. Yeah, it's nice to see that sunshine. Just really lifts your spirit out Just there. Just about panicked <laughs> me this morning looking out there. What in the world? Wow, it's bright. Yeah, wow. after the clouds kind of made things very gloomy for a couple of days for many of us. High pressure today sliding east across the plains, returning the sunshine, and it should stick around for several days here and right near seasonal on the temperatures for today. Winds out of the northwest gradually diminishing as the day goes on. Some clouds expected to spill into the area tonight and winds turn more to the south as an area of flow pressure tracks way across to the north across southern Canada not going to be a factor just uh, switch our winds around to the area into the south and also maybe spill those clouds into the region otherwise the winds will be stronger out of the south tomorrow as we see more low pressure from the Pacific Northwest approach with some slightly warmer air even warmer air expected for Friday with the passage of a warm front now, as that area of low pressure and a cold front track across the plains for Friday night, rain with the possibility of a, maybe a skiff of snow is possible. Only light amounts expected in the way of even rain and light amounts of snow if we do see much of anything. The main storm energy with this system going to be our north and also a lacking in moisture, so not a lot of moisture to give us some rain or snow. Winds will be gusty from the north behind that front for Saturday with those much cooler temperatures, but that's about as bad as it gets. A westerly downslope wind. Returns for Sunday, and that'll return our highs back into the 50s. Some dry and mild weather continues for early next week. It will be somewhat cooler by the midweek thanks to a backdoor cold front moving in from the northeast that cools off our temperatures. Now, in the long term, mostly above normal temperatures, a high likelihood that we'll see above normal temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas for the most part. Warm uh, for Monday through November 28th. The late November daytime highs in central Nebraska usually average in the mid to upper 40s this time of year. And overnight lows usually are in the low half of the 20s as we start getting down to those chilly levels. So it's going to be nice to see above normal temperatures from that. The prediction remains for below normal precipitation in Nebraska and Kansas Monday through the 28th in case harvest is running behind for you. Weather factors driving the market trade include additional rain to disrupt the corn harvest in the eastern Midwest and a favorable rain pattern in central Brazil. Mostly dry weather will prevail through the end of the week across the plains, southwest and southern Atlantic. Warm air building to the east will result in record-setting temperatures in the late week across parts of the nation's midsection. You always like to see record-setting warm temperatures in the month of November for sure. Over the weekend, a surge of cold air, though, engulfing the Midwest and East, but that's going to stay to our east, at least the main brunt of it. That will be preceded by widespread rain and trailed by lake-effect snow. That moderate to heavy rain expected to continue to delay the corn harvest in the eastern Midwest with the main brunt towards Indiana and Ohio. Additional heavy rains are likely the end of the week there. Harvest conditions, though, for the western Midwest, more favorable. There is a favorable rain pattern for Planting and developing soybeans in central Brazil after a run of hot, dry weather. Southern Brazil taking advantage of a break in their rain to help out with planting. 
Rain returns later in the week to maintain favorable soil moisture levels. And weather conditions for corn and soybeans in central Argentina favorable right now. A drier trend in the next seven days, though expected to deplete the soil moisture. I'll tell you what, I, I look at that uh, satellite picture that we have for cloud cover here, and it is so squeaky clean, I think I can see <laughs> the rooftop of KRVN right there. I, I, I went and doubted. It is very clear out there this <laughs> morning. And our uh, ag weather, of course, is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. They are your Ranky dealer. And uh, as we move forward here, we're going to get uh, through a couple of little bumps in the forecast, but uh, the weekend shapes up how? Yeah, pretty uh, cool on Saturday, but uh, just a little bit of wind and all in all, pretty favorable pattern. Just as, you know, we'll have maybe some rain move through on Friday night, but it's not going to amount to a whole lot. And one other note, uh, of course, Gateway going on in Kearney at the Buffalo County Fairgrounds today and tomorrow. I'll be talking to you tomorrow live from Kearney all right. right about this time because I'll be at the KRVN booth late tomorrow morning into the early afternoon. Looking forward to it and showing everybody our app that's got all kinds of weather and stuff on it when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com Questioning the latest numbers from the USDA. I'm Shaley Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. Seth Meyer, USDA Outlook Board Chairman, says USDA's forecast for a record national average corn yield was made despite the fact that yields in some major corn states did not set records. We didn't have a record yield in Illinois, didn't have a record yield in Iowa. So you kind of say, okay, these are the big states, so you're not you're you're down year to year, but at a national uh, total. You're, you're, you've got a new record yield. Okay, so month to month, there were some good changes in Iowa. Iowa was up six, if I recall, and Illinois was up six. Still down year over year, but you go down through the southeast and you've got record yields, which are kind of carrying you across the finish line here to get you to a record yield. So still good yields in Iowa and Illinois, but down from last year. It is the southeastern states that, that got you to the record. What might have been a little bit of a price hike for corn this marketing year seems to have been squashed by larger-than-expected production forecast. And another ag news, an Ohio-based economist and consultant told Pacific Northwest Farmers last week Congress will most likely pass an extension of the 2014 Farm Bill and delay the next Farm Bill until 2019. Matt Roberts told the tri-state grain growers from Washington, Oregon, and Idaho that he predicts there will be an extension in 2018 and that the real bill bill will come up in 2019. According to the Hackstrom Report, Roberts is a former economics professor who recently started a consulting firm. He also says the next farm bill is likely to be a relatively minor update of the 2014 farm bill. Others have said to believe that the next farm bill will be introduced earlier next year. House Agriculture Committee staff members started writing the next farm bill about a month ago. And critics of agricultural consolidation joined forces Tuesday in Washington to release reports calling on the Department of Justice to reject the merger between Bayer Ag and Monsanto Company. Gathering at the National Press Club to air their grievances against the $63.5 billion merger were the Organization of Competitive Markets, the National Family Farm Coalition, the Ranchers Cattlemen Action Legal Fund, Consumer Federation of America, Friends of the Earth, the Open Markets Institute, and the group 
Some of Us. The group also stated they delivered more than one million signatures on a petition to the Department of Justice calling on the department to block the proposed merger. Combined, Bayer and Monsanto would be the world's largest integrated pesticides and seeds company, the EU noted in August when it began vetting the merger. At the time, the EU listed several preliminary concerns about market impacts. And more than 180 agricultural groups are coming together to support the Section 199 tax deduction not included in the tax reform proposal. The groups led by the National Council of Farmers Cooperatives penned a letter to House Speaker Paul Ryan and Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi opposing the effective repeal of Section 199. By not including the deduction, the House tax reform legislation would eliminate Section 199. The letter states that ending the deduction would result in many individual farmers paying more in taxes, seeing up to double-digit increases in tax bills. Section 199 allows cooperatives to deduct the proceeds earned from products that are manufactured, produced, grown, or extracted, and pass those deductions directly back to farmer members. The letter emphasizes that with most of agriculture facing the fourth consecutive year of stagnant prices, now is not the time to raise the tax burden on farmers. That's a quick check of your midday ag news. For more, you can always visit ruralradio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. The use of social media to tell the story of agriculture is gaining more in popularity. Jay Hill, who farms both in New Mexico and Texas, takes it one step further to show the variety of things that happen on his farming operation. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Jay says for some of the crops they produce, you can't use a machine to harvest. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we our operation split pretty heavy between uh, hand harvest and mechanical harvest and uh and so it's always interesting, you know, there's there's the alfalfa and um, our paprika pepper and pecans and corn and things like that that um, people, you know, see machinery. But then when it comes into um, planting onions by hand or harvesting onions by hand or, or harvesting lettuce or cabbage or things like that, um, it really brings the human element back to it. And, uh, and that also opens other doors for us to talk about, you know, crazy things like immigration and, and human rights and, and, and fun topics like that. You have such a strong working relationship as well with your employees. And it looks like when I watch the Snapchat, it's more like family than it is boss to employee. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I when I started farming 16 years ago, I had a John Deere 4020 and, and <laughs> 10 acres. And... Uh, I didn't. I didn't have any employee management skills. I didn't have any team building skills. I didn't have any of that. But I, I knew whenever I worked with people, including what I liked in a boss, and I knew what, what what drove me to do a better job. And so, as as our little farm just continued to grow, um, I wanted to make sure that that the people that work with me um, start to understand and feel that you know I, I want people to to share in the reward and the risk of what we do as farmers and so the the team that we've built has been amazing and and sharing uh, that reward and that risk you know we we get a hailstorm um i'm not the only one that's slumber in the in the shop in the morning you know these guys and girls pour their hearts out to it every day and it's awesome to see them you know latch onto this and, uh, and and operate, even though I might own the farm, they operate it like it's theirs. 
If you had the chance to sit down with somebody who had absolutely no understanding of where their food, their produce comes from, what would you want them to know about what you guys do day in and day out to bring that quality to the grocery store, farmer's market, et cetera? You know, I, I think that the biggest thing, um, I would want them to know that, that every time I step out of my front door uh, and onto the farm, that I have them in mind. Um, because what I'm going to grow, I'm going to feed my family. And what... Um, what my family is going to eat is going to be is going to be what's going to be shipped all over the world, and and so every day that I, I walk into the field, um, those management calls that I make are not based off of the bottom line; they're based off of effectability and what is truly best for the crop, and truly best for um, the end consumer, and uh, and that's the amazing thing about Snapchat. We're sitting at oh, dang near 35,000 followers on Snapchat because people are starting to get that one-on-one engagement that they were missing um, with their farmer. Did you ever think you'd have that many followers seeing what you were doing day in and day out? No. It almost, for a minute, it kind of felt a little invasive. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> oh, my gosh, a lot of people watch it every day, you know, and the number just keeps growing um, really, really rapidly, and it's it's great because... Um, I, I feel like we bring a really, a really honest look at agriculture. Um, you know, the amount of debt that, that I have to operate under and, and the struggle and the weather and um, just all of the different issues that happen. I try to portray that as much as I can. You know, it's always easy for us as farmers to stand in front of our best crop of corn. Um, but it's never easy for us as farmers to stand in the worst part of the spot of the field and say, you know what, this is reality. And uh, and so we're trying to. I'm 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 gonna try, especially this year, to work a little bit, you know, more on the reality side. I, I want to make sure that we come across as a as a humble operation because we are. And uh, and so it's always fun to to see people's reactions when you walk out in the field, you know. And I'm like, well, there's supposed to be onions or carrots here, and they're not here because of this or that, you know. And always finding ways to improve how he gets the message out. I'm Susan Littlefield, the World Radio Network. Midday on the Rural Radio Network and time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Nebraska's quarterback situation continues to be on shaky ground as the Huskers get set for their matchup at Penn State this weekend. Riley said yesterday in the Big Ten Coaches teleconference that starter Tanner Lee continues to make his way through the concussion protocol, but he remains optimistic that he might be able to play this weekend. Patrick O'Brien continues to take the number one QB reps in practice for the Huskers, working behind O'Brien with the number two offense is junior college walk-on transfer Andrew Bunch. Freshman Taylor Kissinger led three Huskers in double figures with a game-high 18 points to help Nebraska to an 80-60 win over UMKC last night. The Huskers went with a three-guard lineup, and Kissinger really likes her role. I think it fits me really well. I like playing it on defense. I think I can help us uh, if the other team spreads us out with a, gar- with a person that can shoot or play the three, shoot the three, or drive. So I think it helps us on defense, but also I like being a passer from the perimeter, um, just kind of like an extra guard out there that can see the floor and just help get everyone the ball. Fellow Nebraskan Maddie Simon from Lincoln had a big game with 11 points and 8 rebounds. Simon and Kissinger teamed up to go on a 10-0 run in less than a minute to help the Huskers open up from a tight game. In fact, they led the Kangaroos at half, just 38-35. to Well, the big game last night in men's top 25 college basketball had top-ranked Duke 
getting past second-ranked Michigan State 88-81. to And Spartans coach Tom Izzo says this game's just simply got away. Give Duke credit, but I give us some blame. And uh, we're going to have to live with that. We had an opportunity. We were up two, and we just didn't lock up like we could, and we didn't rebound like we could. The other big matchup last night in college basketball saw Kansas knock off Kentucky. Well, this offseason is a busy time for the Royal staff as two major renovations are currently underway at Kauffman Stadium. The playing service has been completely dug out and is being replaced, and new LED lights are going up. Toby Cook, Vice President of Publicity for the Royals, talks about the process for replacing the lights. We've taken down the old lights. There were 600 of them, and we're putting up the new LED lights. There are 412 of them, so you don't need as many. The old lights came down by lowering them one at a time on a tether. The new lights are going to be coming in the middle of December, and then we're going to put them on the brackets out in the parking lots. And then the plan right now is to have them helicoptered up to the catwalks and then put in place. The old lights took over 15 minutes to work up once they were turned on. The new LED lights will be programmable via a computer to flash on and off immediately at various times throughout the game after a win or for other special occasions. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Partly cloudy skies tonight to Nebraska, lows upper 20s in the east to around 30 in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. Critics say a Nebraska law that requires licenses for nearly 200 types of work is burdensome and unfair. Speakers at a meeting yesterday said the law is holding back Nebraska's workforce by putting up barriers to work. The event was sponsored by the American Civil Liberties Union of Nebraska and the Platt Institute. The Platt Institute says the rules limit entrepreneurship. The Nebraska ACLU says the rules disproportionately impact minorities, military families who frequently relocate, low-income individuals, and people with criminal history. Both groups are supporting legislation that would create a review process for state licensing rules and boards. Senator Laura Epke of Crete is a bill's sponsor. She says her goal is to remove unreasonable barriers that stop people from working. President Trump continues to push Congress to have a tax reform bill on his desk before the end of the year, and Republicans in both the House and Senate are working hard to make his wish come true. The chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, says the president doesn't have to worry. The House will pass a bill by Thursday or Friday of this week, so it's halfway through the Congress by the end of this week. The week after Thanksgiving, uh, the Senate will be taking it up. We will pass it within one week. It'll go to conference between the House and Senate. We will have a bill to the president before Christmas, well before Christmas. Opposition to the GOP tax plan has been vocal from Republican lawmakers in a number of states which could see taxes for many of their constituents go up in New York, New Jersey, California, and others. Only months after Governor Sam Brownback of Kansas called the budget bloated, Kansas state agencies have asked for more than $274 million in new funding. The agencies are seeking a 4.1% increase in spending in next year's general fund budget, the preliminary budget requests for the next fiscal year became public when the agencies presented them to a legislative committee last week. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. Reporting from the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network talking with Toby Cook. He's the Vice President for Publicity at the Kansas City Royals. Toby, there's a lot of exciting things going on in the offseason, and I suppose that's even a little bit of a misnomer because there is no offseason many times. It's just a time when games aren't being played. And right now at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City, a big update to the field. They had to really <laughs> dig down and get out not just the sod playing surface of the field, but they had to go down several feet. It came time where we needed to completely redo it. And in fact, when we got the new turf in 95, we hadn't completely renovated the field since. And it's got the grass in the sod at the top, and that's what everybody sees, and of course what the players play on. But underneath that, there's about a foot of sand and that's the drainage system that allows the water that we get during the good old-fashioned thunderstorms in kansas city to drain quickly that about a foot of sand and then underneath it is about six inches of pea gravel the little rocks that allow the water to sift through down to the drainage pipes and there's a drainage pipe about every 15 feet and it theoretically when they put it in could drain up to 20 inches an hour so it was never really a fear that we were going to have water bubbling up on the grass whenever we had a major thunderstorm because they knew that it was going to be able to drain no matter what mother nature threw at happening at that particular moment well they've got these x-ray equipment to be able to check out what the field looks like underneath and they kind of determined that um, after all those years from the 95 season on the drainage system probably was down to about five inches where if we got a storm of five inches it could drain that in an hour and then if it aged another two or three years and we're down to two inches then an actual thunderstorm could wipe out a, a game you know we could have a gully washer in late morning and it could wipe out the game for the afternoon or the evening and it just became time so they decided that in this off season they were going to completely redo the field so it's not just redoing the grass it's doing all of that so they dug it down more than a foot made sure that all of the drainage pipes were fine and then they have been building it back up over the last couple of weeks and here within the next week or so they're going to get this big beautiful amount of sod that will become our turf it's being grown in colorado right now and they're going to ship it here they will lay it all out and we will have a brand new field at kaufman stadium for the 2018 season Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network talking with Toby Cook. He's the vice president for publicity at the Kansas City Royals. Toby, people are going to be able to see that field much better at night because these LED lights, even though there's much fewer of them, it's much brighter and much more energy efficient. We had these old metal halide lights. It's H-A-L-I-D-E. Well, these were these old lights that did a great job uh, but they took about 15 minutes to warm up. These new LED lights, one feature is that when they're on, they're on, and when they're off, they're off. It's a push of a button. I, I like to say a flip of a switch, but it really is a computer program where they're able to turn it on and off on a dime. And the reason why that's important is because it is going to give better coverage on the field. Fans may notice that the field looks either brighter or more even in terms of the lights, that if there were any shadows whatsoever, you're not going to have any shadows at all. But to be able to turn it on by a flip of a switch or a computer program uh, will be very helpful to us. I think that the players and the umpires will notice the difference, maybe not the, the casual fan. The other cool thing is that you can program these. 
also, if you watch the world champion Houston Astros on TV, when they win, their lights go crazy. They flash and they are on a computer program where, um, you know, when we play our music after we've won, we're going to be able to do all sorts of things with these lights that we weren't able to do with the old halides. And those are going to be going in probably the week between Christmas and New Year's. And that's on purpose because we want as few people out at the ballpark as possible. We've taken down the old lights. There were 600 of them. And we're putting up the new LED lights. There are 412 of them, so you don't need as many. The old lights came down by low lowering them one at a time on a tether, and they're being stored in the stadium right now. The new lights are going to be coming in the middle of December from Musco, which is a company out of Iowa that does, well, they did the lights in Houston and New York, and they do it all over the country from high school uh, stadiums to Major League Baseball stadiums. And then we're going to put them on the brackets out in the parking lots. So they won't be put up one uh, individual light at a time way up high on those catwalks where the lights are, they're going to be put together on these brackets. And then the plan right now is to have them helicoptered up to the catwalks and then put in place sometime around the late week in uh, December. And that's going to be fun for us to be able to video and put on Facebook, and I'm sure it'll show up on the news. So between the field going in and the helicopter putting new lights at Kauffman Stadium, uh, we've been busy and we're going to get a little bit of media coverage because of it. That was Toby Cook, Vice President for Publicity at the Kansas City Royals, joining us on the Rural Radio Network. This is Brandon Bennett's. Back on the Rural Radio Network, Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities is off today. Market activity levels remained sluggish this week. In livestock futures trade, the overall lack of direction was seen. Traders trying to grasp the aggressive losses which developed yesterday. And we did see the live cattle futures settle higher today in a rebound from those earlier losses. They had a mixed trade early. Complex saw narrow gains in the nearby contracts, offsetting the pressure in the deferred market. Feeder cattle futures all the months came back to close higher, albeit slightly higher. But in the lean hogs today, the front month December is uh, trying to catch up with cash and finished $1.15 higher, lower in the back months. Now, as far as the cash cattle trade today, a light to moderate live trade developed at 119, and about 7,000 head had been sold in Kansas and Texas. Now, that's fully steady with yesterday's decline, but 3 to $4 lower than last week's weighted average. In Nebraska yesterday, we saw action at 119 to 119.50 live basis, but the dress trade was non-existent yesterday. Very light today at 188 to 190, and that's 2 to $4 lower than last week's weighted average in Nebraska. Taking a look at slaughter cattle estimates, Cattle slaughter for the first three days this week estimated at 353,000, 2,000 more than last week, and 9,000 more than the same week a year ago. Hog slaughter projected for the first three days, 1,394,000, 9,000 more than last week, 74,000 more than last year. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Bryce Dusker back with you here on the Rural Radio Network. Well, last week, happening in Kansas City, was the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Annual Convention. 
At the convention, I had the opportunity to catch up with the Midwest Dairy Association CEO, Lucas Lynch. Lucas, you all have some exciting things going on right now. Uh, but first, let's talk about reintroducing dairy to consumers for the farm-to-table experience and the importance of that. Sure. Well, farm-to-table is really telling uh, agriculture story and specifically dairy farmer story from farm to table and understanding that we bring dairy to life by giving consumers an excellent dairy experience every day of the week. And undeniably, dairy.org is a, a website you can go to to learn more about that campaign. But even partners like Domino's Pizza, 7 million pizza boxes going out every week across the country that have undeniably dairy and really the dairy farmer story right on the cover of the box. You have that Domino's pizza here uh, sitting. I don't think there's a pizza in there right now, but uh, maybe, maybe yeah. later. We already ate it. <laughs> <laughs> so research, innovation, and partnerships to grow dairy sales. Tell us more about that area of what you all do daily. Yeah, so dairy farmers across the country, not just the 7,400 dairy farm families of the Midwest Dairy Association, contribute uh, to the checkoff, 15 cents per 100 pounds of milk produced. And that funding goes to research, promotion, and education. Some of that promotion is with and through partners, partners like Yum Brands that make up KFC, uh, Pizza Hut, uh, Taco Bell, but also that of like a Domino's or a McDonald's, working with those partners in dairy development on their menu, making sure that they have the the latest and greatest uh, access to dairy ingredients and dairy ingredient research that helps them formulate what they want to produce for their consumers. And and we're really committed to giving consumers an excellent dairy experience by by joining them in the conversation. So undeniably, dairy is a way of connecting uh, consumers to the joy of dairy, but bringing it home to how they want to embrace that that dairy in their daily lives and really consume that that wholesome nutritional profile that we provide. You know, and you're spreading that message on the local level, but also on the national level with the Super Bowl. You have a commitment to youth wellness and a role in the Super Bowl. Tell us more about that. Yeah, Super Bowl 52 coming up. Uh, you know, we, we hope to see some of our favorite teams in that. But uh, one of the things that's exciting uh, is for the last 52 weeks uh, in Minnesota, there's been 52 weeks of giving where dairy farmers, along with other donors in the community, have put together the resources to give $10,000 grants every week across the state to promote health and wellness. So not just a Super Bowl event, but really a legacy of leadership and wellness uh, taking care of the students of the the future. Because we know that breakfast in the classroom and second chance breakfast, a child that has a satisfied tummy can have an active mind and really focused on the day and the task at hand. To be having it be the best learning day possible is what we, we love to do with our wellness programs. And one thing in Nebraska, one of our, our biggest listening audiences, there's a, there's a big push to bring dairies to Nebraska and the importance of that. So from your perspective, as the CEO of the Midwest Dairy Council, why are dairies important to states like Nebraska? Yeah, you know, dairy is such a, a tremendous asset to any community, let alone a rural community. You know, and prior to being a CEO of Midwest Dairy, I, I had the distinct uh, privilege of serving as South Dakota's Secretary of Agriculture, where I got to really promote and advocate for dairy and dairy development. And I can tell you that a dairy farm contributing resources locally is really a, a significant part of that rural economy. That was Lucas Lynch, CEO of the uh, Midwest Dairy Association, and my conversation with him happening down in Kansas City last week at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Annual Convention at the event called Trade Talk. I'm Bryce Duskett, and this is the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We watched the wheat futures close lower today, led by losses in hard red winter wheat. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So we'll start on wheat 
And, uh, again, it's the same old story here. <laughs> yeah, boy, we should play the re recordings uh, uh, from the last couple of days and just change the market. On Monday, it was soybeans being down. Yesterday, it was corn. Now, it's wheat. Uh, you know, 2% losses, essentially, today in the KC markets. And really seeing, uh, I think, liquidation ahead of delivery. I've kind of been beating this drum quite a bit here, if you listen to me on the radio. The time to buy wheat is, is usually at the, on the delivery periods, not two to three weeks ahead of it. That's when the speculative spec money has to kind of bail out, and I think it exposes the true price. So I think corn is a little bit in the same boat. Um, you know, if you're going to buy, I think closer to December 1st is where you take a shot. Uh, at this point, I think you kind of want to let the trade do its thing and, and continue to bleed. We're probably looking at, you know, a push to $4 before this Kansas City market expires, in my opinion. All right. The uh, soybeans led the way higher in the row crops. Now, what, what happened in soybeans to change the mind of the traders, I guess? Well, you know, the knee-jerk reaction didn't happen right away this morning, but uh, we, we heard from China uh, uh, big... Kofco is the name of the company. Uh, they're kind of the, the Chinese conglomerate that represents the ag import industry over there for soybeans. And they increased their uh, their expectation for bean imports to 100 million metric tons. We're at about 94 right now. I think the USDA is in that area. So you're looking at another 600, basically another 200 million bushels going out the door here globally between us and Brazil. And uh, given that, uh, you know, a lot of this will probably happen in early 2017, 2018, we could see some increased buying as we get into the new year. And I think the market kind of looked at where we've been. And, and you know, that, that November contract, which is still trading right now, goes off the board in a couple of days, went down to 960. And that's really been a magnet price for it. I think you saw buyers come in. Uh, weather in, in Argentina will probably need to be monitored here. Up north, they're getting a lot of rain. Down south, they're drying out, which is good. They're going to get planted. But uh, they're also going to be, uh, you know, looking at some heat as well. So we'll try to keep you guys up to date on that uh, as we get into early December. That's really when a lot of these fireworks should start, in my opinion. You're going to get weather models that will point one way or the other about what's going to happen there. We're going to still wait, though, to break out of a two- or three-cent trading range in corn, though. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I guess another, another – we make a new low today? I think maybe we did. 337 was, was traded on the December. Um, you know, I think, again, that's a little bit like wheat. I, I – I think we're probably due for another five or six cents down, but I mean, at this point, if you want to buy, I think you got to be prepared to buy and take some heat. I, I just don't think, given the, the spreads coming in here, December is gaining on the deferreds, I think we're closer to a bottom than we think. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Be sure to go to danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting.